Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Beam Voice podcast. My name is Petru Kanduraru, and today we have the pleasure to talk with a Beam consultant from Chicago, United States. Welcome, Andrew Baranowski. How are you doing? That's true. It's very good. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to have you here. Uh, why? Uh, what don't we start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, let's see. Well, as is relevant for your podcast here, I guess we could say my, I started in the construction industry about 20 years ago as a cabinet maker. So I'm a member of Chicago Carpenters Union Local 1027, and I did that for seven years and got my journeyman certificate. Then I left the industry for a short time to work in manufacturing, which maybe we'll come back to because understanding manufacturing processes is extremely relevant to things like prefab and offset manufacturing these days. And then uh, that didn't last too long. Then I found myself back in construction on the design side, suddenly dealing with low voltage systems, so structured cabling, audiovisual, and things of that such. And that was really my re-entrance to construction is when my interest in BIM started, just taking all that experience as a carpenter and understanding the daily hassles and just, you know, problems you would deal with, thinking, always thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. And that, and it just sort of gradually built up from there, from learning the technologies to wanting to dig deeper and understand the processes and really understand the problems and solutions and what BIM is. And in a, in a nutshell, that brings us to why I'm here talking to you today. Yeah. But uh, what did you do uh, from like uh, around 2010 uh, up until now? And uh, what are you doing today in your job? Okay. Let's start. Well, way back when we're talking 2010 or even earlier, I was really learning design. And as we all know, various 3D design tools were starting to become prominent on the marketplace, which had a lot to do with really because suddenly the, the computers had become strong enough to support them. So that was becoming a reality in the workplace it was my understanding of how do we take these tools and apply them to the work we were doing. And then also, as I mentioned, I'm working with low voltage and none of the tools on the market really cover the needs of low voltage. So I had to get very creative and very inventive and sort of figure out how, how to manipulate these tools to do that, which I think after 10 years has been very successful. I've watched many of my colleagues and, and as I've progressed, you know, many of our young, younger new grads come in and learn to do this and we've been very successful with it. But then, then that's the immediate part. So you learn how to use the tool, but then there's the bigger question of what is BIM and why are we doing this? And that goes beyond simply how do I operate a tool? So we need to get into the theories, the what's highs and uh, the what's whys and hows. And so I began to dig into that pretty deep looking for answers, which it always seemed like the people were asking a lot of questions, but pretty much no one had any answers. And then where that led me was about 2014, I learned of the uh, BIM master's program at Middlesex University in London. So I applied for that and the short story in 2017, I became the first person in the United States to get a degree in BIM. And so that's really- Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. And so that's really when we're saying I'm a BIM consultant, it's really me taking all that knowledge I gained and applying it in a very practical, real, usable way 
to hopefully provide solutions for our clients and help everyone along this BIM journey. So how can we do it better? Why are we doing this this way? What, why hasn't it been working? And just, you know, what does it take to do it? I understand. Uh, but uh, was that uh, master, master's program was practical? Could you take what you learned there and practice in your job or was most, mostly theoretical? Well, it actually answers both. So the important thing to understand about the course is we did not use any software. So we were really dealing with the management aspects, the legal aspects, the people aspects of it all. And it is the utmost practical because that's really here in Chicago, we've been building a service based around just that, where uh, we call it BIM Master Planning. Now, that title isn't so important. But what we're doing is I go to deal directly with the owners and the clients from their end to help them understand what BIM is, how it can benefit their operations, and what it takes to actually make that happen. So this is all long before they've ever gone and spoken to an architect. This is about getting their internal organization together. So again, what, what do our people need to know? How do they need to apply that? What do we need to do to our legal agreements? What is it we're trying to accomplish? And then finally, what supporting tools are we going to need to do all that? So the tools will come into place, but not until the end. And then once all that's together, then we go and we start talking to our architect and our project team. Because otherwise what happens is, and we experience this all every day on pretty much every single project, is the client just says, oh, hey, I want BIM. <laughs> Nothing. And you're completely <laughs> left to guess. And so, so let me explain. So if a new, a new client knocked on your door one day and said, yeah, I'd like you to build me a school. You say, okay, great. You know, let's talk. Let's sit down. You know, tell me about what you want. You say, oh, no, just give me a school. You know, I saw on your website you did a school last year just give me a school you know you 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 would see some red flags you say well wait a minute hey hang on we need to we need to learn a little more about this what is you're trying to accomplish do we want college are we talking you know grade school how many classrooms does it need a science lab and you'd start looking for information like that because you, you just expect that and it's the same thing when someone comes up to you and says bim no one should just be going, okay, great, we'll give you BIM. We should stop, stop, stop. We need to really talk this through and think about it. Let's start with what are you hoping to accomplish with this? And have you prepared your organization to actually make use of that? And then that's the other problem too. We can put the documents together. We can give you the right answers. We can uh, you know, survey the tools out there and give you our recommendations on those. But if your organization isn't set up to do all this, as soon as we hand it to you, it's not going to work either. So those are just the challenges. And in doing that, we're really trying to make life easier for everyone. So, you know, if you're with the architect or the engineer or the contractor, by the time this gets to you, you're going to have stuff all detailed out, nice and neat for you in the proper documentation format where you can flip through and say, okay, I see what I'm being asked to do here. I can understand how do I need to resource this? What's this actually going to cost me so I can give an accurate price to my client? And now I know what is it I'm actually being asked to deliver at the end of this project. And it just enables success for everyone. I understand. Can we call this a BIM uh, strategy or BIM execution plan for a specific project or uh, for an entire organization? Uh, it, it, 
it's not a BIM execution plan because a BIM execution plan is one specific document related to a specific project. But this is definitely an overarching BIM strategy at an organizational level. Okay, that's interesting. Is this something uh, happening at a large scale? Are many organizations in the U.S. interested in this? It, it is increasing. It, it, at this point, the answer is no, but that is simply due to a lack of awareness. When, when you get a hold of the right people and you ask them, well, hey, how are you preparing your organization for BIM? They look at you kind of confused, like, what do you mean? Um, I don't know, a year or so ago, I had one client, they looked at me as dead serious and they go, well, doesn't my architect do that for me? It's like, no, that's not your architect's job at all. This is stuff you need to prepare. And so, so the first part is just helping people be aware that they need to do it. And then just, okay, so now they're aware they need to do it. Well, they have no clue how to go about doing it. And that's really where I come in. So, so to go back to your question, there's not a lot of people doing it yet, but I will say over the last two years, the interest level has gone up exponentially. Where two years ago, I would tell everyone, hey, we're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And they would just, who cares? I don't want, uh, why would we care about that? Where now on a fairly regular basis, I'm getting a cold call either from another Arab office or someone I had spoken to two years ago and say, you know, that thing you were telling me about, well, tell me more, you know, you know, and something's starting to connect and it's like, okay, so, so there's a very slow burn to make this happen, but I just see no one's, no one's necessarily turning me away anymore. Everyone's saying, well, tell me more. Let's, let's think about this and let's understand it better. So it's a very positive indicator. And I think just as BIM is really just becoming standard practice now, what I also see is when the clients are coming to me, they've heard about it and they've heard that they're supposed to be getting all these benefits and they see their contractors using it and they're starting to think, well, wait a minute, shouldn't we be getting a little more out of this too? So they're starting to think through it and go, okay, why aren't we getting more out of it? And again, so that's where I would come in to help them understand that and help, you know, hopefully take them down that journey. I understand. And that, that is really positive, like you said, uh, and that is happening here as well in Europe and Norway. And in Norway, more, more often than not, people know, organizations are aware about. Most of them are implementing a BIM strategy, especially private customers or uh, private contractors, uh, private companies. Uh, I'm not really sure about uh, municipalities. I know the biggest uh, state agencies, they are doing this. They are very aware. They have their own strategies. They are doing a really good job. It's there. It's still enough to do, but they are they are on the right track. Uh, it, it was really uh, funny when uh, when you said that uh, someone is coming to you and just tell you like, yeah, we want to do BIM. This was something that our guest from Sweden said exactly the same. Like he's having some meetings with uh, with some customers or clients, and they are saying exactly the same. Give me BIM. I want BIM. I want to do BIM. What is this BIM? Tell me, can you please us? Can you please tell me with your own words what is BIM for you? Uh, well, well, let's back up with that one touch. So, so, so part of my journey in BIM to get to the bottom of this and find answers and help bring it back to people 
what I learned is that for a good 20 years or so now, there's been a group of people, very smart, dedicated people who put a ton of work into, develop, into developing what is really the modern BIM process we're using today. And really, they did an outstanding job. So that goes from Project Avante to the British BS1192 standards and to the new ISO, which just came out in 2018 and which is getting fabulous adoption worldwide. So that work, it's all done. But what they didn't do so well was really getting the message out to everyone, or let's say the people that need to hear it first, that is the owners. So, so, so the people that really kicked this whole thing off, they never, they just never heard it. And so that's a problem. So it's like, okay, we need to take the marketing out in a whole different direction. So, so people like me, like, yeah, we get it, but that on itself isn't very helpful. And then, so it's your, your actual question. So what is BIM? BIM is a, BIM is a process. It's a process for how we generate manage and reuse the data that is generated during design, construction, and operations of any built asset. And then there are supporting tools and all sorts of nifty and fun features that we can sort of tack on to that, you know, that we all know be it 3D modeling and augmented reality and, you know, field devices and stuff like that's great. But at the heart of the matter, it's a process for efficiency. So it's not about doing things quicker, it's about doing things in a more efficient and thought out manner. So, and so one of the issues too, when you're doing clients, it's naturally they hear about it and they say, okay, that's awesome. Give it to me next week. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this is something you say, no, no, you know what? Let's take our time. Let's really think this through. Cause it, you know, if you put out the wrong equation, it's not going to work. And that's what this is about. It's really about getting things right the first time. So you have to think about that. You want to test it. You want to vet it. You want to double and triple check it. And then when you're certain, let's put it out on the street, you know, because if we rush it, we're just going to create a new mess. And then people are saying, oh, BIM is great. Well, no, BIM actually works great when you let it. Yeah, completely agree with that. And uh, it's. Uh is not something that uh, like for BIM to happen, like for an organization to uh, successfully adapt BIM and start using it, it's not only up to them, not only the organization, like it's a, a common effort. Like it's not, uh, we are just a part, right? If you are a designer or a constructor, a general contractor, right? Or an owner, right? We are just a part, a wheel in this uh, system, right? We need like for BIM to be effective, all of us needs to to adopt BIM, right? We cannot do only at a level. That's what is happening, right? With the designers going forward, using most advanced tools. But like you said, the owners have no idea why they need it and they don't use it. They don't require in contracts, right? So for this, we, uh, we need uh, we need the openness and uh, collaboration and cooperation with with all the other parts involved in the process. Uh, but more so so what actually what does this this mean like we need a, a, a cultural change we need to change the uh, the way we we know we do things you cannot do things the same way like it's a little bit radical uh, mind, uh, mindset change to go about right so it's not something that you can do in one week this is actually 
something that uh, many owners or many people involved in this don't really understand because like you said i i am this is one of the reasons i started this podcast to have guests that can uh, showcase and uh, talk about their experiences and to help to understand people why they need to get involved and why they need to change the ways they are working right now and uh, for, for this to happen like we need involvement but we need patience as well it's not, it's not something like you just take a software like you, yeah from today we we are using revit or archicad or vector work or something like just start doing it. yeah that that's easy to do but when you need to do all these changes like you need to have a strategy like and th this is the catch 22 thing about this like uh if if we like if i you go and talk like i just told you about to a client you will just scare him or her away they 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 will run like because it's too much information it, it maybe it's too steep and scary right uh that's uh, that happens sometimes yes again pe people have heard that bim is good but what they essentially think is that they're going to purchase a software license and it's going to fix their problems and then I come in and, you know, one of the first things I'm like, okay, well, sh show me what your legal agreement says about BIM. And they're mystified by that. Well, why, <laughs> why, 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 why would we do anything with our legal agreements? And it's like, well, cause now you're talking about the management and ownership of data throughout the building life cycle for the next 30 years, you know, construction, this whole project is going to be done in two years. So that contract only covers two years of 30. So we need to start thinking about that. When your when your GC is done and hands you the keys and you wave goodbye, and you don't have ownership of the very things you need to make them work for you, there's a problem there. That's a big problem, you know. So so just things like that. So yeah, it it, it is a lot. You need you need someone that's very dedicated to it. Um, you know, there have been instances where people have started down this journey and, you know, halfway through, they start to really understand the effort that's behind it. And they're kind of, you know what, on second thought, maybe we won't. And it's like, okay, you know, well, think about it. You know, we already started here. We can always come back to this because uh, you just have to have someone that's willing to see it through. Yeah. But the, the message is always, well, if you see it through, it's been proven time and time again. There's more than enough case studies out there. There's more than enough real world examples. You know, look at what Heathrow Airport's been doing for years. Look at the Crossrail project. You know, they're going to be using this on high speed too. Uh, the University of Western England in Bristol, you know, and on and on. So, so it's not that everyone has achieved some high level of perfection, but there's people out there sort of working their way up this mountain that's saying, you know what? We're still only at, you know, like one level up, but even in the early days, we're already seeing enough results to tell us that it's worthwhile to move forward and work on improving what we've already done. Yeah. So, so that's very powerful because it's, you don't have to wait till you're at the very end. It's that, okay, we're like 10% into this and you know, everything's already looking good. So let's just keep going. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, maybe like five even five years ago it it still was a question mark if yeah is this going to work but right now i don't have any doubt about this this is happening and those who are not involving themselves are just going to to lose the most out of this because there are already too many actors pushing this forward 
at all levels. And it's happening. It's not happening how I would have wanted or wished to happen, but because it's so complex, it, it just needs to take, to take time. It's, it, it is how it is, but it's happening. I don't have any doubt regarding this. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I, I think part of it, too, is that we see an awful lot of people all over the world putting an awful lot of effort into this stuff. And when you think about it, you know, if, if BIM didn't work or it was just a fad or something, it would not, it, it would have disappeared a long time ago because we, we started, say, 2010. So we're, we're 10 years down the road and the effort and the resources being put into it has only increased exponentially. So maybe everything hasn't gone perfect. You're, maybe everyone hasn't hit everything the right way, but the fact that there is so much going on in this area and it's clearly only gonna grow, well, that, that tells us some very positive things. You know? And so it's our job to get out there and help people out and educate them in the best way we can. And you know what? we're all gonna make some mistakes along the way. You, you, know, you go and you find out some idea you had, oh, you know, maybe that doesn't work after all. Maybe there's a better way to go about it. But, but that's okay. Because again, it's, it's such a new thing. But, but we see there's only going to be more of it as we go. So it, right now, there's more pie than there is people. So there's plenty for everyone. Yeah, that's true. But uh, we need to be aware about like, we need, it's us to need to make the effort to grab that pie. I'm I'm seeing. Uh, otherwise, I see these tech uh, giant companies. They I don't know if you are aware about, but they are diping. They are tipping their toes in in uh, in the construction industry. I'm talking about Google, Amazon. Uh, like uh, I heard, Amazon uh, bought a prefab company, and they are doing some. They are, they are trying to to uh, uh, put some resources in this so like we might not have unlimited time to figure this out on our own so yeah yeah i'm just saying well no one has unlimited time and and yeah so all the, all these big tech companies are putting something into it but what i'm always looking at closely is well what are they actually doing you know um are they designing a tool okay well great well a tool has def defined limits to it you know uh, what can you do with it what can't you do with it that may be great and then also how does that tool fit in the process so you you need to think in terms well okay maybe a tool speeds up this one immediate task but how does it help facilitate our process start to finish and in some cases actually in many cases what always concerns me when i just see people looking to speed up a task and well that's great for right this moment, but you know, in two years from now, that's really hasn't gotten you anywhere new and you still have the same problem. You know, so the question is, is the problem that we can't do the task quick enough or is the problem that our process isn't getting us the results we need them, how we need them? Exactly. No, I, I was not talking about tools. Like I, I, just, uh, I just can uh, make a, a visual uh, exercise imagination or exercise and uh, watch these prefab elements just sent with the Amazon car and some uh, robots and assemble them and uh, you have the house. Why not? So you have the, the whole process there figured out. So I, 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 I don't think they, uh, they look only for tools. 
they they try to find uh, some solutions actually uh, right there in the inefficiency of of how we do things like uh, like not we as a people only but like all these involved parts in the entire process from design from concept to use the project to maintain it like we are not effective at all right so yeah uh there okay well th then that sounds based on what you just described like they did look more at the process so if we have prefab going on and some sort of you know robotic assembly thing going there well that's that's a whole new ball game then. this is just an idea i'm saying if they start with that like they don't forget they started what was they started with they started with something very very simple uh, so and they they come up so so long right and uh, yeah i'm just saying that it might be something even more revolutionary than this uh you know you're probably right it whenever it comes to anything bim i'm i'm always going on the assumption that once I hit the two-year mark on it, it's, there's a good chance it's obsolete because BIM is still so young and maturing at such a rapid rate. So it, there's documents I've written for clients. There's things I use internally. And I think that wasn't that long ago, but then I pull it up and it's three years. I'm like, you know what? This is totally out of date. Like when I wrote it, it was cutting edge. But now suddenly like, wow, this is, isn't terribly good anymore and it's just, and that's hard too because you have to just assume that okay, what i do right now is going to be almost obsolete instantly and that's that's kind of a hard pill to swallow and then yeah if you see google coming into the place and what are they doing with the technology and the ai and there's all these other moving pieces and really you know we're going to go back 10 years 10 years ago i could more or less keep up with what was going on in the industry but now so much has happened where it's splintered off where you have AI and you have drones and you have all the, um, you know, the mixed reality stuff and the tools and all this, you can't be an expert in all these areas now because now, you know, like an era, you know, we'll have people that just specialize in the AR portion or we'll have people that specialize in laser scanning. You know, I have, I have a good overall knowledge of that, but to really get into the nitty gritty, these are things you have to do all day, every day on your own. So no one person can really take it all in. And so that's a challenge too. So you have to be able to pull in those right resources that you need it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very complex. It it becomes, like I said, it wasn't enough that we, we were so fragmented and uh, so many actors and parts and stakeholders in, involved in the entire process. <laughs> now we get even more tools and technology, right? But uh, do do you see in uh, in your company or uh, in uh, where there where you work in in your uh, country in United States, do you see uh, practical use of uh, artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning in in our industry? Oh, I I see a lot of people talking about it. now. Now, when you say practical use, do you mean as it's in the field being used on a live project or? Yeah, not not only like getting some results using these tools, like something practical. Yeah, not not only studies, right? Because studies, yeah. I know there are many. Now, now the a the AI, I mean, to that, I, I see a lot of people digging into it, and there's a ton of work on it. that. Isn't my you know my area of specialty, 
Um, but as far as like, you know, boots on the ground, people utilizing it, I haven't seen anything specific that's jumping to mind. Although I'm sure someone's going to send me an email to prove me wrong on that. And <laughs> please do, because if that is happening, I want to know. Um, what, what I am starting to see is robotics come into play in a much more real way, at least in a, say, a beta testing capacity. But it's pretty clear that really in we're just a couple years away from that being a very real thing. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, my guess is that they just have to get the machines durable enough to be on site and sort of work all day, every day, you know, from out of the testing lab. But then the other question too is, okay, we're going to, we're going to use a robot to build this building now, but we're still back at the office designing it. So now we have to learn to design in a way that the robot can ingest the data and understand how to apply that in the field. So that tosses our traditional design process out the window because it simply doesn't, you know, the whole design intent thing doesn't apply. We need to design specific to, and that's the question too, is going to be specific to this robot, is going to be for robotics, and how do we assemble that information? How is it unpacked? And how will that affect our efforts or the design? So there's a lot of unknowns there, and none of that is insurmountable. I imagine in a few years it'll be very standard practice. But as far as you know, a designer with 20 years of experience having done that, everyone who who does it is going to be doing it for literally the first time, no matter what their knowledge level. Yeah. So there's obviously a steep learning curve there. Yes, it is. We mentioned about um, the owners that. Uh, they they need to learn more to to learn more about BIM about why they need to adopt it well how they need to implement the BIM strategy at organizational level and such. Uh, do we see do you do you see any other challenges like what are other challenges you see why uh, why BIM is not getting adopted at a quicker speed. If, uh, but it, o- this only if you think that things could go f- uh, quicker or you might be uh, your opinion might be like yeah things are going just fine I don't have anything against that mm, th- there's a lot of answers there because I think you have to look at it by region and by sector um, so, so in a lot of Europe and some South American governments places you have government mandates for implementing BIM, which has usually been based on the BS1192 standards or something similar. And now that's all going to the ISO. So that has really pushed the adoption of BIM in the best way. Now here in the US, we're never going to have anything like that just because that's how we work. Why? So Why are you saying that? Uh, because that's just how the US is. Um, we're never going to have a federal mandate that everyone has to use BIM. It's it's just, you know, that's more of a political discussion. And let, let's not even get into that here. <laughs> um, but but at least from the U.S. perspective. So what we see is the contracting side has been the quickest and most eager to adopt this. And that's really when we're talking about the tools, because it's so beneficial to them in the field. You know, they can they can adopt some technology quickly and save 10, 15% on the job, turn it over 30 days earlier or whatever. Now that's just 
using new and improved tools. That doesn't mean they know anything about the process. They're not, frankly, they're not getting anything on the process. They're just doing that because it benefits their bottom line and that indirectly benefits the client because it's saving them money too. And then the architects took a little longer to come around to it, but the architects are very keen on it because the, the nature of their work and the 3D modeling, it's just a much more logical way to do that and visualize and present their work. And then I found really the engineering side is still fairly resistant to it because we have this thing called design and intent where you don't really do it. You just say, well, I want this to go from point A to point B and it's up to other people to figure out. And that doesn't really fit into the BIM process very well. And that, that, that's a pretty hard change to bring about. So, so we see this very uneven adoption. Oh, and then of course, as I've said several times already, the most important is the owners and they're the ones that have the least information on BIM whatsoever. And that's really the problem right there. It, it's a matter how do you ed educate these people who really have, have up to now have had no role really in the construction process other than signing a check. Or they're, or, they're, or they're there, but they're there in such a removed way where now you're saying, okay, you need to be involved in this hands-on, you know, let's go. And they're like, what? That's not our job. We have, you know, that's, that's what we pay people to do. So it's just it's such a crazy mindset across the board. But still, nonetheless, we do see people who, who are willing to do it. And as we say, well, well, maybe it's still a very small portion of projects around the world. If we look every two years, that number is growing exponentially. So, yeah. so it is coming around. And again, that's why you started your podcast and that's why you're talking to some guy in Chicago. Not because BIM is a myth or it only kind of works in some places because it's been proven in enough cases that BIM can and will work anywhere in the world. You know, so yeah, we have a cultural difference, but at the end of the day, you know, that doesn't affect construction. We still need to put that bridge up. You know, we still need to make this refurbishment. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And it's not only about putting that bridge there or that building there, but what, where the biggest uh, improvement and the, the, the biggest uh, win uh, at the end of the day is going to be in the maintaining the building. Because you will you will have a way to operate that building much more knowingly. Like you will have the data you will need to operate it. This is the most important part, actually. Like that is very, how it's done today. It's a very inefficient way. It's very difficult to navigate, to find documents and very difficult for someone new, someone without experience, right? But when you will have a 3D model where you have every data you need it and you just search for something and it just pops up into your screen and you can get in a dashboard all the information you need to operate that or if something gets destroyed you find the piece you need to replace it there like there where we get there i think there is go we're going to to succeed at a very high level oh absolutely and that's really where I'm trying to get all of my clients at any point. Now, now you show them that, you know, you take a tablet or a smartphone and they instantly get it. They're like, yes, I want that. And then they turn in to walk out the room and say, you know, give me that in two weeks. And it's like, no, that's what I just said. You got to pull them back in and say, no, no, you need to tell me 
what you need here. Like I, I, I can make a pretty good educated guess, but you need to tell me specifically, I need to be talking to your people in the field. I need to know what assets are you maintaining? What, what is it you're really trying to accomplish here? And then specifically too, every client has a different operational infrastructure, you know, cause they might outsource something, certain things they maintain in house. So, so even though obviously everyone's, you know, looking at their electrical panels and their, their HVAC systems, well, you know, obviously, but who's responsible for what and how do you go about that and what information have you gathered? And then is there other information you don't have just because it's been too laborious? So a while back, I was speaking to a university up in the state of Minnesota, and they showed me very clearly that whenever they get a new piece of gear in, you know, that there's going to be some sort of, you know, asset tracking or asset maintenance on. They have a sheet of paper with some checkboxes on and they take their pencil and they write in the information that goes in a filing cabinet. And that's hmm. how they do it. And they insist it. And, and that was as far as our conversation went because I said, hey, it works great. <laughs> uh, you know, okay. They, they said it works great. You know, what, what do I know? But it's like, but for the people that want to get beyond that, that can see that maybe there's a more efficient way you know, that still all needs to be defined very specifically, you know, and that, that's, that's uh, my earlier comment where you want to take your time with this. You don't, you don't want to be general about it because so much effort goes into it, you know, because you say, okay, we're going to do all this and we're going to give your people the right tools and have this information. Well, what happens, you know, you're six months into operations and something happens and your person goes out to the field and they pull it up. You know, it turns out there were two key pieces of data that we weren't given. So it was never built in there. Well, now, now what would have been very simple to do during design is a major task to go through retroactively. You know, so that's why I think it through. What are we trying to accomplish and what do we need to accomplish that? And oh yeah, have we tested it three times to make sure that, you know, because we're, we're assuming this is new construction or something. So it's really going to be a few years until something tr is truly breaking down and you absolutely need that information, by which time it's just way too late. What, what more can we do? To um, How can we get to the years of people that need to listen to this more? Well, to start, you can do a podcast which is awesome. It's, it's a matter of uh, getting out there and talking about it. So the last year or so, I've been starting to go out and speak a lot. So yes, if anyone wants me to speak at their conference, please drop a line or whatever. And just, it, it's just a general awareness because no one is going to wake up one day and say, I need this. And, and when I've done this for real, it's been a year to two years of discussions just to get a signed contract. It's, that's how long it takes them to get a comfort level. So it's a very slow burn and it's just, uh, you know, a gentle persistence because you, you, you can't force anyone to do it. They have to be truly interested in doing it. And I've seen that too, where, you know, someone where people have tried to sell someone this and they don't understand what they're purchasing. And by the time they're up to their knees, they're, they're really freaking out because they're saying, wait, I, you know, I'm just not interested in this, you know, even though, even though, it will be very good for them if they're not interested in pursuing it and taking it through the end. That's not going to happen. But 
still, n- nonetheless, every person we can talk to, every person we can run this through and just keep getting the message out there because this is the big missing piece of the puzzle. Because once the owners start requesting things in a certain way, everyone else will fall in line because that's really how it goes. You know, the owner is, you know, whether we're architect, engineer, contractor, they're coming to say, we're going to pay you to do X, Y, and Z. And we go, okay, you're paying us to do this, you know, and, and, you know, so sometimes from our perspective, we even go, you know, that doesn't make sense. You know, are you sure that's what you want? And they go, yeah, we're sure we're paying you for it. You say, okay, this is what you want. You know, so we're going to give you just that. So if we have an owner coming to us with a well-written EIR saying, okay, here's how I'm going to use these models. Here's the assets my people are taking care of. Here's the specific data we need in each of them. And oh yeah, we're going to use Uniclass 2015 and on and on and on, you know, and they say, oh, okay, you know what? We can do this for you. Let's get on it. We're, and, and what I see too is there's an awful lot of people in the industry that would love to get that and love to pursue that kind of work too. So it's a, that, that would really create a win-win situation for everyone. From, from uh, asset owners, uh, customers you had or you have, uh, do you have also um, state agencies or municipalities or uh, how it's called public, public agencies or only private entities or organizations? Oh, no, um, it's across the board. So, so the U.S., naturally, we have these 50 states, which quite often one state is larger than a European country. So, so just when you're dealing with share volume here, we, we've got it. So there are things that would go from the, you know, there's federal building and contracts. Then each state will have its, you know, own specific entities and such, and even down to the local municipalities. Now, Actually, I'm going to contradict myself a bit here. The very uh, there have been BIM mandates in the United States. Actually, the very first place in the entire world to mandate BIM was the state of Wisconsin, which is, you know, uh, just 90 minutes to the north of me. And I'm not distant on them, but it, the state of Wisconsin isn't what you think of the most progressive place all the time. So it was really weird to hear that. But what the <laughs> But when they put that out, which was some years ago, what they were really saying was use a 3D modeling tool. Because at that time, that was the extent of the knowledge. So so we, we see that. So there are things like that. But to help them through with this whole data thing, its operations, um, I, I got to be careful what I say. Last week, I was on a call with, with a, you know, a governmental body from a major city in the U.S., and their, their message is, we're going forward with BIM. This is where it's at. It's not stopping. And they're looking for help doing that. They already have projects in motion where, you know, they're, they, they're really just diving in. And I think there's a certain recognition there that they don't have all the answers, but it's just time to move. And, you know, so, so the idea is, okay, how do we take what you're already doing and build on it and progress you? Because, you know, it, it, we're not going to get it magically right the first time. You know, it's going to, it's probably going to take a couple projects. And then we also have to understand the distinctions between the, you know, the different organizations within that government. So, you know, transport and public works and things like that. So each one will have their own specific requirements. So that's a, you know, a massive ball of things to think about. But, 
But yeah, we see that. And that, that that's no mandate or anything, mind you. That's just, you know, the, uh, this organization saying, hey, this is where we're at. Got to do it. And the recognition that it's the best way to go. That's good. That's good that there are uh, entities interested in this. That's very good. Especially yeah. if it's big. And, and I, I think we're going to, well, actually, I know we're going to see a lot more of that. So my concern is always, people running out and buying a software license and thinking that is the answer where, you know, yes, you know, I'm, I'm a carpenter. So right over here behind me, you can't see in the closet is all my tools. So I need those tools to do my job, but those tools aren't what makes me a good carpenter. It means I know anything about carpentry. They just enable me to do my job. So I still had to go to school for this and learn the concepts and the principles and understand why I do things a certain way. And then you turn on the tool and take your piece of wood and put it through. And so that, so that's a way, you know, it's like, okay, it's great that you want to rush ahead with this now, but I, now I need to get you to slow down and really think it through and let me help you. That sort of thing. Yeah. It would be the way. Yeah. We don't want to rush into it. It will get overwhelming and just give up. Right. Well, at, at, the, at, at this point, like with the, this client in particular, it's pretty clear they're not going to give up, but it's like, well, okay, how can we, let's avoid as many mistakes as possible. You know, cause not possible. Uh, well, 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 so there, there's a certain matter because the re reality is, you know, the, the people leading this charge, you know, they've heard about this stuff. They've done some research, but not everyone is like me where they've gone and got a master's degree in BIM. So they're just not that, that deep into it. So, you know, you or I, maybe, maybe we have a passing interest in something for it. So we, you know, we've read about, and we know a little about it, but we're not there doing it all day, every day. We don't recognize some of the more subtle pitfalls and traps there. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is identify them and say, I, I know it sounds like this makes sense, but let's think about it. You know, that may not be what you want to do, or maybe there's a better way to think this through, or, or again, always, Let's define what is it we're trying to accomplish. Because we just say, yes, we want to do BIM because it's going to be great for our operations. Well, yes, but let's define how it's going to be great for our operations. You know, what, what does that mean to you? Uh, you know, does that mean, you know, you won't need as many people because they're going to be able to be more efficient? Does that mean, you know, you're going to save money at the year end? Does that mean, you know, all of your techs are going to have AR goggles so now they can, op you know, operate better out in the field. We need to just understand what that is. Do you, uh, because we talk a little bit about what can we do, what more can we do about this? Do you have in mind, are there any other resources for people just to learn more about? And uh, I don't know, like, like other podcasts or uh, I don't know, YouTube channels or how, how should people go about this if they, they are not committed yet or they don't have funds to uh, to pay for this uh, how but they are interested how people can learn more about this where do we start there um, let's start with bimdictionary.com so that that is I would say the most agnostic source of bim knowledge there is out there it's run by Bilal Sukar. And uh, he's down in Australia. He was a frequent lecturer in my classes at Middlesex. 
And it's a truly global agnostic platform for exchanging BIM knowledge. And then he does something that's called the BIM-E initiative. And so he does a lot of great research and he has this amazing way of taking, taking topics in BIM where you look at it and you think you see everything there is to it. And he has a way of really bringing out the nuances and highlighting stuff you never noticed about it. And you say, okay, I see it. And then he, he writes about it and breaks it down and you're like, oh my God, there's so much more to that than I ever would have thought. And it's absolutely brilliant. So, um, it, so, so that's a good place to start. Yeah, I, I can, uh, if I can interrupt you here, uh, that's really nice to know. And they had this weekend from Friday, Saturday and Sunday, they had this three day seminar uh, about this BIM initiative, uh, BIM Excellence Seminar over three days. You can find it. It was online live. I did not have time to see in the weekend, but I seen it on Friday. It was really, really nice. Uh, yeah, no, actually I was on that invite and yeah, just being the weekends, I have some uh, prior commitments, so that's kind of hard to do during the weekend. Yeah, but, but you can, uh, yeah, you can find it also. Uh, I, I will watch these days as well, the, the two other days I did not see. And uh, moreover, I will have him as a guest. He's booked for, uh, for the next weeks. So that's going to be really exciting. Oh, okay. Well, tell him I, uh, I don't know if I remember me, but tell him because his lectures used to occur at 4 a.m. Chicago time. So I would, actually <laughs> get out, I would actually get out of bed to watch as that's how they get the work. So any of your viewers, tune into his. They're well worth it. Um, but back to your question, uh, you know, any, seriously, anyone who's looking to understand BIM better, the first thing they should do is get their hands on a copy of the ISO 19650, which is the global BIM standard. And now it, that's, you know, it, it's through the ISO organization and it's really being owned by the BSI, the British Standards Institute. And the first thing everyone says to me, well, that's British. Well, for, for whatever weird reason, the BSI has offices worldwide and they, they have an office in the U.S., and, uh, and, the, and they are starting to do ISO certification in the U.S. And I spoke to someone there a few weeks ago. And uh, apparently there's, there's quite a strong interest in firms getting certified in that. And they're talking about creating some sort of individual certification. So if you're serious about BIM, that's something you should look into. Uh, it seems early days for that, but it's definitely taking hold. And that, I mean, because that's key, because we're talking about BIM, we're talking process. That is the process. If you don't know that, you're really just making things up, and that only creates problems. Yeah, that's right. Do you, what, what do you think about building smart? But, um, well, I was a member. So through building smart, I was a member of the, I don't know, version three of the United States BIM standards some years ago. So I was definitely, uh, my name is on that. I'm very proud of that. I think it's a great organization that it seems like they have a higher profile in the rest of the world. Uh, in the U.S., the, they don't get as, as much airtime as they deserve because, I mean, the, the, they own Kobe, they own IFC, and they're doing many wonderful things out there that people need to be aware of. So uh, if you're not, I, everyone should check into it because their website is a source of knowledge. And I think, um, and then really at the end of the day, much of this open BIM agnostic stuff, they're the ones that own it. 
And so it's important to understand what their role is and how this impacts all of us moving forward too. So yeah, you know, I've nothing but good things to say about building smart. Yeah, but uh, exactly that, uh, as you said, uh, in Europe they have, um, they are more known, better known about, but uh, I still think there is, there is room to improvement. And uh, not only that, but I think actually this time, this pandemic has helped them because they got... Uh, I find out about them during this time. I, I I knew about building smart, but I I I had enough time to to dive deeper into things and investigate a little bit and see exactly what is there, right? Because before it was very it was focused on conferences. I did not travel to Singapore or where they were or in US to a conference, right? But now they got uh, so uh, to such a, a larger audience right because they published all the webinars they had a lot of webinars and they published everything online right so i i got the chance to watch maybe 20 webinars during may and june or more and uh, it was really nice i learned about uh, many things there uh, and i think this helped but yeah i i still think it's um, but they have also they are, they are starting right now and uh, maybe they don't they still have uh, limited resources right but um, yeah it's uh, it's getting maybe more traction okay well that's good to hear and yeah when i when i was in there uh, it, it seemed you know well there's always a question of resources for anything but it seemed in the us in particular like they were hurting and that certainly prevented them from doing you know, other things, but I said, I'm just, I'm really speculating there. That was just my impression. And then I was, you know, I was, I was, I was working with them and then I got into grad school. So, you know, I didn't have time for that anymore. So that's really where that ended, but, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, I still keep in touch with some of the people from that group, you know, we just have to see what develops. Yeah. There have been, I think it's finished now as well a series of webinars how was that called uh, the festival of beam i think it was uh, organized by someone in new york but of course it has been online because of the current situation and uh, that was also a kind of good uh, good festival of uh, webinars okay now back at the beginning of may I, i was on a panel presentation for that and then i also gave a, a solo presentation on the EIR document. And uh, the feedback from that was pretty good. So I, yeah, kudos to those people. They really threw something pretty amazing together at the last minute and they were working like mad to make it happen. I can tell you that. Um, yeah, a, a lot of interesting things. And I, we're talking about goes back to about, you know, how do we get the owners up to speed and how do we help them? So. The point of my presentation there was, uh, was focused on the excuse me, it's the exchange information requirements document now. So really walking through people in a bit more detail about what goes in there and how do they put it together. And really in doing so, you're not just you know drafting a document, but it becomes an exercise 
and thinking through what it is you're trying to accomplish anyways. So, you know, you sort of, you know, just go through the mental process and say, well, okay, I think we want to do this because we want this and this. And you come to the end and you can say, oh, wait, no, that's not what we're trying to do at all. You know, because sometimes, sometimes something sounds cool, but then you get there, it's like, no, this isn't, this has nothing to do with our operations. Then you go, you can go back and refine it. And it's just, again, that mental exercise. Let's think it through. And as we commit it to paper, and then we said, well, yes, you know what? We do have issues because it's difficult going out to work on these assets and having the information in hand. And, you know, whenever our techs are out there, they say, well, you know, they got to run back to the office because they don't have this information. So great. Then we can put that in and we understand what we need to do. You know, we want to do life cycle costing. So let's jot that in and all, all this stuff. And then you have this finished document and then you hand it to your project team and say, this is what we need you to provide and they go oh okay we can do that so yeah that, that's one piece of the puzzle but when i'm working with clients let's say the most labor intensive thing i'm gonna do is write an eir because that's a very thick bulky technical document and the catch is it's it, it has to have every fact and figure you need in there you know so you can't you can't leave anything kind of vague or open-ended because this is like you know, because because maybe maybe there's an earlier strategy document and say, well, okay, we're gonna think about X, Y, and Z. Well, this is a place where we define X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Huh. Well, uh, exchange information requirements. You said it's uh, it's the acronym for this. Yes. Yeah, so, so it was called the employer's information requirements and the BS eleven nine two standards. And when it got converted to the ISO. I guess they decided that calling it exchange information requirements was a bit more global friendly. Brother, because you know, yeah. it, 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 it isn't a very awkward name, and you know, whenever I say it, people look at me kind of weird. But I mean, but but that is the document. And what's actually since we're talking about this, so so most people out there understand what what a BIM execution plan is, because you know, any project these days whether it's actually BIM or not. Someone's writing one up and it's just about 3D modeling and whatnot. But the message that hasn't gotten out is that the BIM execution plan is written as a direct response to the EIR. So if you don't have an EIR, whatever you put in your BEP, you're making things up. And again, every owner should be sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. That's not a very good way to be going about this. You know, we don't want people to just making things up. You know, we're we're investing this capital because we have very real business uses here, and we need to accomplish something. You know, we're not going to spend twenty million dollars just because it seems like a cool idea. You know, we're 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 trying to get to a better place. We need this facility to support our business growth and give us a place to do what we need to do. So that's why we need to define this, and then. We're going to put that out and the project team is going to write a BIM execution plan in response. And then the owner is going to sign off on that and say, yes, you know, the BEP, the, what you detailed there tells me that you can meet the requirements in the EIR. So it's this call and response thing where everyone's in sync. So it has to start with the EIR and that has, has to be written by the owner. Uh, again, there was a client that said, well, well, won't my architect do that for me? It's like, well, is your architect going to come by and change your lights when they go out? You know, it's like, you know, that's just 
I mean, if, if they do, that's pretty nice. But is that what you want them focused on? You, you're paying an architect to focus on certain things. And then there, you have other stuff going on that, you know, maybe they're not the most qualified or the best suited for that. So you think, okay, why don't we just leave our architect to stick to the design here? And then our operations will handle ourselves. And the EIR is really part of your operations. Yeah, that, that makes so much, so much sense. I think most, most of the organizations that have, have uh, EIR is because they have people interested in BIM and they have been exposed in a way or another. Like the ones who doesn't have people passionate or maybe willing to learn more about this will get a little bit harder the information to. Well, that's exactly it. Um, but at some point, you know, when they come to the conclusion that this is the right move for their operational model, I mean, that's what you need to do, you know. Um, so I mentioned years ago, I, I worked in manufacturing. And so I was doing consumer products. And so down in the state of Mississippi, we the company had opened a new plant. And they said, well, we need to, you know, improve, improve our production of these specific products. So they invested you know, into two, into two automated assembly lines that cost a million dollars each. You say, well, in order to do this, this is the investment we have to make. So for any owner, if they want to invest in BIM to improve their operations, part of that investment is writing their own EIR. Or really, you, you have me write it for you, but you sit down with me. But it's not something you do, you know, willy-nilly. And, that, you know, and yes, you are going to have to buy some sort of software at the end. You are going to have to train your people and all this other stuff. But, but again, it's, it's not one single thing. It's all pieces of the same puzzle. And it's very difficult when you must train people that are not willing or requiring this, you know. Oh. Sometimes, sometimes goes the, the ownership might take this step or jump because of the the a group of employees right like if they pushing they showing like this we should do this this uh, well, uh, this way we can use this and uh, like uh, we can have these benefits if we do this right but if you have people that are not very willing to learn and such i don't know i, I talk mostly about smaller companies right if you have bigger companies and yeah if you just uh, you you just set out some rules and yeah it becomes like you do it or not you don't have a choice but it's easier when you have people willing to learn, uh, like uh, more open to, to new things, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, back at Middlesex, that was something we would talk about often in our lectures, you know, because of course, uh, again, you, you can buy all the tools, but if they're just sitting there collecting dust, they're not good. It's really about people and change management. But, you know, that's not exclusive to BIM. That goes for anything. But the, the BIM component in particular, is a heavy lift and you're asking people to change a lot so you, you have to be very patient and persistent until until you get over that hump and they see the benefits then you know you know it seems that when, once you get past that point it it sort of becomes self-perpetuating yeah yeah and and i think this is also coming with a generational shift like it becomes quicker also because the students, the graduates now, they, when they come out of the school, they, they have another mindset. They have 
they have a much more modern mindset, right? And they are used to use all the most modern tools. And this helps as well, right? So we as a, like uh, uh, parts of the industry right now, uh, or the, the employers needs to think, need to think about this as well, because it's, it's a little bit like uh, I heard about uh, someone talking about this here in Norway, like you, you get people getting uh, students coming out of the school, uh, knowing how to uh, like, I, I, let's talk about design, right? They know how to use Revit. They know how to use Dynamo, Grasshopper. They, they do lots of cool stuff, right? And you hire them to make uh, drawings for you. That is something very inefficient. But inevitably, like at this point, each year, like we get some of the seniors outside of our industry, right? And we get new people. And we get to a point where we get more new people with new mindset, right? And right. it's going to help. But yeah, it's one year at a time. Well, yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, if we're, we're talking about modern BIM processes, you know, if we go back to the beginning, something like Project Avante only began in 2001. So that's, you know, 19 years, which is nothing. So, you know, perhaps you and I are way out there at the front edge, but even, you know, one of the hard things for me was after spending two and a half years on a master's degree, just having my head in that so deep for so long was I had to come out and say, oh, wait, you know, like, no one is remotely close to where I am now. Cause, cause what, what did I, what did I do for two years? I was, you know, I was in this classroom with 50 other people and all we did was talk about the cusp of BIM and the rest of the world was not, you know? Yeah. So, so you have to roll back your expectations and sort of get recentered on that. But, but everything I'm saying though, cause we're here talking cause BIM still has come so far. And I have, I have no concerns that it's going to get to where it needs to. So what, what I'm trying to do is make that ride smoother for people and help, you know, those that want to help them out. Because it is, and this isn't about trying to sell people on something. It's about there's people out there that want to do this and want to improve because they, they know it does work. But they don't necessarily have all the knowledge and exactly what it is they need to do. And that's really where I, I come into play. You know, let's, let's just make your life easier. You know, let, let's make it happen. And as that progresses, you know, it'll become a much more common thing. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. And yeah. maybe by then I'll be on to whatever the next thing is. Who knows? But I think BIM can keep me busy for quite a few years to come. I'm not concerned about that either. Yeah. Uh, and now regarding the resources, like you said, you made this master, master's. Uh, program but right now like it gets more mainstream also also as resources right we get more more universities offering maybe beam uh, studies and uh, more uh, organizations offering courses and such so yeah but um, it's uh, it's not a exact or very precise science that that's that's the uh, that's the a pinch of salt we, we need to swallow this with like it's um what what i see becoming more and more important it's the philosophical aspect and not 
and and taking the time and having the patience, right? Like this is also a challenge with BIM, but this is also something that it makes it it's exciting for me. Because it's not just, yeah, you say BIM is this and everybody understand that. Like you said, like uh, this ISO says that, yeah, you need to have this reinforcement in this slab or something, right? It's not something so precise. And this has been the big, one of the biggest challenges, right? Because many people have uh, made the mistake to think, yeah, BIM is 3D model. Like you said, people uh, maybe started with that, right? And may, even right now, I see a lot of people believing that and it's no wrong in that because a 3D model is very important part of the of BIM, right? But it's not complete. It it doesn't tell the whole story. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really nice to have and find actually people to and to be able to talk like this. This is something that really excites me about. Oh, well, thank you. No, no, it, it... It is good because sometimes, uh, again, like I said, I, I went in so deep so quickly on this topic. Sometimes it's a, uh, you know, it, it can be a challenge too. It's you know, there are days where I, you know, like I, I imagine it's like someone learns to speak Latin fluently, and you know, wow, that's that's awesome, that's really cool. But how many other Latin speakers are there out there? Some days, you know, it's like, well, you know, okay, you know, what can I really do with this? And but. But the good news with BIM is we're seeing we can do more and more because people want our people interested. And, you know, every everyone's entry point really is the 3D model. You know, that's fine. That's great. Because yeah. even the, as basic as that is, has already advanced the industry so much and solved so many problems. And And this goes back to me being an apprentice cabinet maker out in the field. Because what people don't realize is, in design, everyone's focused on the big things. And I mean, objects that are physically large. Because, okay, we have this massive piece of something and it has to get in here. So we have to plan that we're going to maneuver it into place before the windows are put in. So, okay, so so everyone sorts that. But what they really don't get is that it's the tiny things, and I mean physically tiny, that cause you the greatest problems and expense. And if I could tell you the number of times as a carpenter in the field, where the cover plate to an electrical box caused an absolute nightmare, a lot of screaming and ridiculous change orders. It all begins with that cover plate that costs, you know, 69 cents at the hardware store. And, and it's just that simple. Just by having that position properly in 3D, that would have eliminated half my problems as a carpenter. And we didn't have that then. So that's, you know, some years later when I saw it, I'm like, yes, this is the most logical, sensible thing I've ever seen. And that's why I wanted to be part of it. But but th that's the reality of it. And I still see that even projects I work on now. So uh, I got to be a bit vague about it. But I, I was working on a, on a massive project for one of the biggest companies in the world. And uh, so there was extremely heavy 3D coordination going on. I mean, they were, you know, they would not let up on it. But they did this thing where they said, we're only going to do things that are physically large. And so the security systems were not designed in 3D. They were done in 2D. Oh. And, and when it got out to the field, every single, I mean, literally every single camera and every single card reader did not go where it could 
walls were being ripped open, door swings had to change. Uh, you know, it, it simply did not work. And these were massive change orders coming back. Just, just because, yeah, it's a card reader. Put it on the wall in 3D. What's the big deal? Well, because by not doing that, you know, they say, well, you know, because it's just a three-quarter inch conduit, so it, it's small, so it's easy. Well, no, it, it turned out it was physically not possible to root the three-quarter inch conduit there. So that's why you want to model that in 3D. Because then you could say, you know what, people, we've got a problem here. As trivial as this sounds, you know, we're going to be ripping this wall open after it's been painted because we can't put our card reader on the wall where we want it. And people get furious about that. And it's all 100% preventable. But it's very silly, to be honest. What's, you, you, you don't save, like this is the big, very important step you need to do. Like you need to know where you, you need holes and, uh, and everything. I don't see, the, uh, I don't find this problem here actually. Oh, well, that's a good one. Well, here, here what I see is that people, they're doing this under the guise that they're somehow saving work when in fact they're not. Because as, as we saw in this project where everything had to be ripped out and redesigned in the, you know, the whole point of doing 3D coordination is to not have to redesign in the field. Exactly, exactly. And, and then, it defeats that, the purpose. But that's what we say. But they're they're doing the stuff where they say, well, okay, you know, we're only going to do conduits four inches or larger. It's like, well, <laughs> yes, that, that those are big, but you know, there's there's far more conduits that are an inch or smaller that need to get positioned too. And but but that's what I'm seeing too. People don't fully understand this or the ramifications. You can't you can't do it halfway because because eventually everything has to go into your building. Everything has to be positioned. And it's, you know, and, and again, that, that's me being a carpenter because once that electrical box has been committed, it is a massive problem to move it. Because by the time I come in and I'm doing millwork, you know, I'm, I'm one, I was one of the very last guys on every single project. So if I flag a problem that it ha happened a year ago, you know, people weren't happy. And, and then it also came, well, suddenly... I couldn't do my job that day. So that put my boss in alert and, you know, cause we have a schedule to keep too. And it, it just snowballs. So, so yeah, I guess even we're talking about BIM at the most basic 3d coordination level, it has to be coordinated. You can't only coordinate some things. Yeah, exactly. That, that is, uh, that is a very obvious proof that they don't understand why they used it, why they do this. It, it's a, like in your face, you cannot go, like, it's not about the size of the object. It's about to know how will they fit together. It doesn't matter if it's a block of concrete of 20 meters and 2 meters thick. It's, it's not about that. Like, you need to know how you are going to fit this because it might be much easier to have a, a hole, like to build a hole with, uh, with uh, formwork before than... Uh, uh, taking it through the wall, right? And, and so small, small things that can amount to many, many resources and time saved in the project. This is sounds really crazy. And now this is really interesting. Uh, right now, I'm a, I'm a civil engineer. I work mostly with concrete, with bridges through my career. Uh, but right now I work on a project and I work with uh, uh, security, like you said, 
uh, telecommunication with uh, cameras and uh, uh, speakers and uh, such, right? And even we, if we uh, deliver on this project, uh, we deliver uh, drawings. I have a 3D model that I need to update and I, I need to check my drawings that they conform with the 3D model. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it all has together at some point. And, and I guess to really tie this together. So I was talking about our EIR document a few minutes ago, and that's yeah. something I, I would put in there specifically. So I'm not going to leave it up to the contractor to design what they get to model. It's about me saying, no, you know, you have to model this stuff. This is an optional just because it's physically small. And then like, in the technology world, you know, we talk a lot about smart buildings and stuff. So you're going to have tiny little sensors and things on the wall to make that BMS system work. Well, it's physically tiny, but you have to make sure that it can go there and it has the right clearances it needs to operate. So, so what, what's more important that something is physically large or that something can function correctly and you have access to it. So, yeah. so I don't see people thinking through these things all the way. Because, you know, everything has to get there somehow. Everything has to function properly. And sometimes the most important thing isn't always the physically largest thing. Yeah, those yeah, are, no. Those are judgment calls, really. Yeah, yeah, sure. And this is focused on, on the discipline they work with mostly. This might be the inclination of a contractor that works mostly, like they will have someone else doing the, the, the MEP, right? Or something else. But it's... It's it's a growing pain. Let let us just uh, uh, put it like a growing pain. They will just learn from this, like because it's not so so different if you do it this way than from the original uh, old way of doing things, right? Because you don't avoid those clashes. If right. the, the, if if you don't use the three D model to avoid clashes, then you you just you did not use that, right? It's no no you're you're right. It is a growing pain. But uh, it, it's still it's still something that just you know uh, people haven't arrived at that conclusion yet. So again, I you know yeah. hopefully the takeaway from you and I and other people out there is helping them understand this. Yeah, because we're just bringing that general awareness. You know whatever we can do. Yeah, exactly. For the people that are a little bit deeper in in BIM, are there? uh other resources like this like uh, the webinars and the courses and standards like it's good to make a general idea about and learn more right and get to uh to know a little bit uh, the surface or yeah or or even more but it's not very specific like do you have any resources that you can go deeper in a specific area or level like some courses that might uh, teach you how to, I don't know, how to implement a BIM strategy in your company? Or uh, do you uh, need a master's degree for that? Or do you find shorter courses or or uh, courses, for example, for other skills, like how to use Revit or something? Or, uh, yeah, uh, these kind of resources. Okay. Um, well, as far as software training, I would say, you know, leave that to the, the vendors. Because, you know, because they'll offer whatever training, you know, because that's a very specific thing, depending on your role and your company, what is you're trying to do. But if we're talking about BIM, so the, the BSI who is handling the ISO standards, they're, they're offering, you know, I know they offer like, you know, 
two and some sort of two and three day like very intensive courses on that. I haven't attended to them, so I can't speak to them. But just you know, the total crash course immersion type thing. Um, there is like just this year, there's a new certification out on Kobe, which from what I'm everything I'm hearing about, it's very heavy duty and it's very worthwhile. I would I would be doing that right now, but just due to COVID. There's a temporary freeze on all spending because you know just because that's the state of the whirlwind right now. But once yeah. things loosen up, I'll I'll be working on that, and that's the sort of thing where you have to take a few classes, um, and and it's really things like that. So I won't. I'm less concerned about the software because the software is relative to what is your job today, like right at this moment, and then you have to learn how to adapt to whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, so that you learn as you go, but it's, you know, I would, any, anything that's out there being offered on the ISO 19650 and the process, uh, the Kobe and, and things like that. Um, the proper training, it's actually, a, you know, then there's going the university level like I did, which is, you know, which was an amazingly spectacular program. I, I cannot say enough good things about it, but the reality is that's, that's far more than most people ever want or need. You know, you have to be a little nutty to go <laughs> off that end. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, the program Middlesex run by Dr. Noah Salib, I mean, if you're serious about it, check it out. Um, you know, my, the group I was in, we covered 18 time zones. And you you really have access to just so many talented people across the globe, and that's a network where we don't chat as much as we did when we were in class. But you know, I have a WhatsApp on my phone with the user group, and you know, from time to time, we give each other a little poke. So you, you already have that built-in network, and that puts you in touch with you know the people who are doing this stuff for real, and and that's key too because it's like okay, there. You know, there's an awful lot of stuff on the internet, but how do I get to the right stuff? And that even even that yeah. takes some trial and error to recognize, okay, who who really knows what they're talking about here? But you're gonna have Bill on next week, so he's yeah, as good it's as not any. Nick, it's not next week, but in oh. one of the next episodes. Okay, I, my my bad, my not next no, week. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> but, but but he's he's in the queue. Yeah, he's in yeah, the sure. queue. So 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 individuals like that, you know, it's fine. Okay, like yeah, this guy's for real. So, so, you know, the joy of the internet is there are plenty of resources out there, uh, but of course there's a lot of nonsense too. And then any, anything the UK government has put out on BIM, like, for, like in an official capacity, I mean, that's really the epicenter of everything we're doing. What, people don't realize it, but everything we're doing comes from all that. You know, there, there's bits and pieces here and there, but yeah. I would... Uh, I'd say that's worth your time. How can someone get in touch with you if they want to ask you something or? Uh, uh, drop me an email, uh, andrew.baranowski at europe.com or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I would say many people do. And uh, I do my best to get back to people in a timely fashion just because of life. Sometimes it takes me a little while, but I'm always glad to chat with you. So, so yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest, most direct way. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and of course, and if you're looking for consulting services, please contact me directly at Arrow. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, do you used to have uh, international customers as well? 
Or uh, do you have well, only customers from US? It, it changes a bit, but I think we're in 90 countries, 140 offices or something like that right now. The, the US is actually one of our smallest markets. So, I mean, being based in Chicago, I'm dealing, I'm, you know, I deal primarily with US customers, but I'm very eager to deal with people all over the world. And I can tell you that over the last couple of weeks, I've had, I've had colleagues from Vietnam, Turkey, and Bristol, England reach out to me for help with things they're doing with clients in regards to this too. So, okay. you know, wherever you are in the world, yeah, I mean, you know, the only trick sometimes is time zones. Where, you know, um, yeah, the whole Viet- Vietnam was exactly 12 hours ahead of me. So that just <laughs> makes it a little difficult sometimes. But, but anywhere else, yeah, please, please drop me a line. Don't think you have to be in the U.S. because BIM is global. You know, yeah, it, it does. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Yeah, this is another interesting part. Yeah, that it forces us to to think overboard, not borders. Not only like we need to expand our our mindset as well, and to to see the big picture. I would challenge. I will challenge you to do something. You wrote. Right. I don't know if it's if it's been right after you finished the study, or you wrote that article on LinkedIn. Really interesting. I really like that article. And this is the reason I invited you to this podcast. We did not talk about that, but we discussed about the many points you, you wrote about in that article. Okay. I would like to challenge you to write a new one now. And like, how do you feel the things are going right now compared to how you felt when you wrote that article? Okay. All right. So it's, give me a little time to let it percolate in my head. And I'll, sure, sure. Um, no hurry, no hurry, but like a project uh, by the end of this year or something. And okay, okay, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. So you know, um, okay, you know, you're right. I, 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 I guess in a way, I did leave that hanging. So maybe we should give it some closure there, because, because uh, yeah, because anyone who's gone to grad school knows when you when you submit that thesis, and you're done. It's you know that's. Um, Wow, I mean that's really hitting the brick wall, you know, and you just, your whole body just sort of crashes. You're like, oh my god, I just finished that. Wow, you know. So so yeah, maybe wrap. You know, because now I'm on the far end, and I have, you know, I have some reasonable perspective on what I did and what I accomplished. And and experience. I'm here, I'm here talking to you in Norway, which is hey, that's pretty cool in itself. Yeah. No, but now I mean, like, right now you also have experience from real customers. Yes, I want I to do. see how this goes because when you wrote that article, you mostly it was mostly theoretical or uh, feelings. Right now you have the data as well, and that's why I, that's why I'm I'm really interested to see how how you would you shape this the new okay. state of things. All right. Well, I will start thinking about that, and we'll. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll have to go review that article and. Yeah. Try and craft it and, you know, so it's in context with it. That uh, sounds interesting. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for coming along, Andrew. It was really nice All to right. talk to you. Thank you so much for the invite, Petra. Let's stay in touch and I look forward to more from you soon. Definitely. <laughs>